start by thanking Janet and Phyllis for filling in on our organ and piano this morning. It sounded great. Uh, thank you for helping lead us in worship. We had that gift of rest this morning. How many of you found that incredibly uncomfortable? Uh, okay, a couple people are uh, being, being honest. I, I talked with David um, the other week about this gift of silence, and, and I said, you know, here's some background on, on why we're going to do this. And I said, and then I want you to give two minutes of silence, and we're going to start to feel very uncomfortable at the end of that two minutes. Two minutes is not a very long time, but after about like 30 seconds, we start to get restless and agitated and wonder what's next or if the worship leader fell asleep or if we've just forgotten what comes next. Two minutes of silence can be a really hard thing for us to deal with. We're getting back into the normal routine of school and work and vacations are coming to an end and as we jump back into all of the routine, um, it didn't take long for our family to get tired. Jameson went to school. This is the first time that he's in school for the full day, not just the half day. And he came home very tired. And he insisted that he was not tired. But after about 30 minutes at home, it was very clear that he was exhausted. <laughs> Tomorrow is Labor Day. Created in the 19th century to celebrate work and to give workers a chance to rest. It came amidst changes to labor laws in the United States. In 1886, the American Federation of Labor passed a resolution calling for an eight-hour workday. Since 1886, we've gone through numerous industrial and, and technological breakthroughs and revolutions, lots of time-saving gadgets and gizmos. We've gotten rid of horse-drawn transportation. We've got the automobile. We can now fly from place to place. Uh, communication has gone through drastic changes since 1886, and the speed of communication and even face-to-face -face communication through technology is instantaneous. At one point, people were worried that all of this time-saving technology was going to leave us with too much free time, too much leisure time. And what are people going to do with themselves when they have all this free time? How many of you have found that huge, massive amount of free time? <laughs> Let me know because I haven't, and I would love to find it. We haven't slowed down. The dream of more leisure time that we were promised hasn't happened. We're busy people, running around, going, doing. Our society values long work days and overly committed, overly driven people who achieve higher and higher and more and more, who earn themselves and their employers, they serve more money. Pastor A.J. Swoboda uh, in his book, Subversive Sabbath, which is a really interesting book. If you want to read more about 
Sabbath and rest and what it does for our bodies, what it does for our relationship, what it does with our relationship between us and God and us and our neighbors and us and the rest of God's creation. It's just a, a really interesting book. But A.J. writes about this realization he had several years ago, in part that led to the prompting to write this book. That as a pastor, if he were to have an affair, break one of the Ten Commandments, he would probably be fired. Seems like something you could imagine. But if he became a workaholic, if he just worked and worked and worked and ignored the Sabbath, one of the other Ten Commandments, he would probably get a raise. And so he writes this book of his experience and his experiment with Sabbath. Richard Swenson says this, chronic overloading is not a spiritual prerequisite for authentic Christianity. There's certainly a time for working hard. Many of us were brought up with this uh, ingrained work ethic. We work hard. I, I've been around long enough to hear stories of Milton Hershey, and if you didn't work hard, you didn't have a job. And there's a place for working hard. For most of us, that's not really the issue. Thankfully, we serve a God of rest, too. The God we read about in Genesis 1. If you want to open your Bible so you're kind of looking along with me. I'm going to start at verse 27. It's a familiar story, this creation story. Verse 27 says, So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God creates humanity. And then in the next couple verses, God gives humanity their job description. He tells them, here's the role that you are going to play in my creation. Verse 28 says, God blesses them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, see, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the air and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant of food and it was so. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over creation. They are called to partner with God in bringing further order to God's creation. Then we go to verse 31. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. The whole of God's creation, very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished in all their multitude. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. The seventh day. But it's really the first day that humanity is there to begin the work they've been 
a sign. It's the first day for them to start multiplying and filling the earth and subduing and dominion making. And God rests. God doesn't work on that day. God takes a moment to step back and to see his very good creation. God takes a day to just enjoy. It's as though God blesses creation with one more gift, a gift of rest. Sure, there's more work to do. The eighth day, humanity can get on with all of their assigned tasks. There's more things to happen and to do. But today, we rest. God seems to trust that the other six days, he's done a good enough job of creating. He set everything in motion, and so for one day, God can just rest. He doesn't seem to be concerned that by this rest, that everything's going to suddenly fall apart. God takes a day of rest and trusts that it's all going to be there when he comes back the next day. God's not worried about what might happen while God rests. There were other ancient Near Eastern creation stories that swirled around the people of Israel. One such story was the Enuma Elish. In this story, the god Marduk creates heaven and earth from the separated bloody remains of the god Tiamat. The world is created in violent turmoil compared with the God of the Bible who creates simply by speaking, not bringing more chaos and blood into the world, but rather bringing order from the chaos. The Babylonian gods also took a rest at the end of their creating because now that they had created humans, they no longer had to work. They had humans to do their work for them. They didn't have to work at feeding themselves. They had created humans to do the feeding for them. Compare that with a God who just rests. He's created humanity to partner with him, not to be enslaved by him. Other ancient Near Eastern religions had days of rest similar to the Sabbath. In the Babylonian calendar, they had evil days where the king had restrictions on his normal routines. Compare that with the gift that Sabbath becomes to the Hebrew people. It wasn't about avoiding evil. It was about rest. The Babylonians also had a day called Shapatu, which I guess... Some languages sounds like Sabbath. Once a month, the people could pacify the heart of the God. They could dutifully make the gods happy. But Sabbath doesn't seem to be about making God happy. We'll look at the Ten Commandments next week. But making God happy is never a reason used to justify the Sabbath. It's not about just making God happy. It's about rest. It's an invitation to rest for us. 
for the ancient Hebrew people, a God that rested, that stopped, that invited his people to rest and stop, spoke volumes when they were surrounded by these stories of gods that demanded people work and make them happy. The God of the Bible establishes a healthy rhythm to life. God's not focused on humans working 24-7 to make him happy. As it turns out, this rhythm of one day in seven of rest is how you and I were created. In 1793, the French tried an experiment to increase productivity. They de-Christianized the calendar by modifying the seven-day week to a 10-day week. New clocks were even invented to reflect this new week. And then they rested one. So they worked nine days and rested one. The experiment radically failed. Suicide rates skyrocketed, people burned out, and productivity decreased. We weren't meant to work nine days and rest one. We were created to work six days and rest one. The early church then, as they started to differentiate themselves from the Jewish faith in celebrating Sabbath on Saturday, they also worshipped together on the Lord's Day, remembering Jesus' resurrection. The early church fathers talked of celebrating this Sabbath day, of celebrating this day of worship, not on the first day of the week, but actually they talked about celebrating Sabbath on the eighth day of the week. Christians came to believe that Sabbath's meaning had changed within the new creation. God began with Christ's death and resurrection. The holy day from now on, therefore, was not on the seventh, but the eighth day on which the future bursts into the present. Something new was happening with the resurrection of Jesus. There was lots of work to be done, but the church continued to celebrate a day of rest, to take a day of worship and celebration, to gather with one another, to enjoy fellowship, to enjoy God's creation. See, the Sabbath day was given as a gift, a rhythm to life that includes rest. Too often, our society values the worth of someone based on how busy we make ourselves. We feel needed and productive. And yet, this series on Sabbath is not about guilt. I don't want you to feel like I know I should really take that day. The Bible says, you know, one of the Ten Commandments is to remember this day. It's not about guilt. Other ancient Near Eastern religions were about force and guilt and enslavement of humanity. But Sabbath is given as an invitation, as a gift. It's an invitation to trust God, to know that you can stop doing, creating, achieving, subduing for a time of rest, and the world will continue. If you take a break from your job, the world will continue. If God can stop 
and rest and trust that it's all going to be there the next day. Why do we think we need to work and work and work and not take a time of rest? Sabbath is an invitation to rest, to stop, to just be present with God, to worship, to enjoy life, to enjoy family and friends. It's interesting that in the first chapter of Genesis, God's name is Elohim. It's kind of a generic term. It means the God. But in chapter 2, we are introduced to Yahweh. In, the, in our Bibles, it usually looks like capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It stands for uh, the four letters that the Jewish people would write. They would not even speak the name of God. They would not even write the name of God. And so often transliterated, they would write Y-H-W-H. Yod, He, Va, He are the Hebrew letters. And the ancient Jewish uh, mystics, scribes, started to say that it wasn't just the name of God. That Yod, He, Va, He sounds like breathing. So they believed that just to breathe was to speak the name of God. You think how beautiful an image this is. That when we are born, the first thing we do is speak the name of God. And when we can no longer speak the name of God, we pass on. And people, when they say, there is no God, are really bearing testimony to the fact that there is. And you and I, when we take a day of rest, and we just breathe, can worship, can bear testimony to the fact that God invites us to rest. But for many of us to stop and to take a break, the two minutes of silence, it's hard for us. We get cold sweats just thinking about stopping and resting, and we get a little shake. We're not sure if we can do it. Can we really set the phone aside, set the emails aside? Can we really stop we're addicted and conditioned to value incessant working. Pastor Swoboda writes this in his book. The truth remains that Sabbath will be challenging for anyone to live out in our busy, frenetic world. Sabbath goes against the very structure and system of the world we have constructed. Sabbath then becomes a kind of resistance to that world. Such resistance must be characterized as overwhelmingly good. In other words, if the Sabbath is hard, then we're doing it right. It is never a sign of health or godliness to be well-adjusted to a sick society. 
heard people say, you know, the devil never sleeps and the devil never rests. So why should we as Christians rest? The devil is not our standard for discipleship. Let the devil work his full head off. You and I know the end of the story, that Jesus wins. And so our discipleship is based on Jesus who rests, on God who takes a break and invites us to take a break. In Genesis, we see a God who knows the quality of his very good work. God doesn't feel the need to work on the seventh day. You and I aren't God. Our work isn't keeping the world running. We can take a day off because we know that Jesus wins. We know that Jesus invites us to find rest in him. Jesus invites us to rest, knowing the world will continue, knowing that he has already won the victory, knowing that Jesus is Lord and Savior. Amen. As we close our time of worship, I invite you to stand in body or spirit and turn in your brown hymnal to number 617, near to the heart of God. Thank you. 